0: Testing. There we go, Ella. Thank you. All right, how is everyone? Doing okay? Well, thanks for all those that really committed to prayer over this last month. I really appreciated that. Uh, Of course, we'll finish that off tonight uh, in style. But uh, I I enjoyed my three weeks so much. I think that. I'm just going to create a spot after work. Anyone wants to come here in the afternoon, we'll pick a day and we'll let you know about it. And uh, we'll just do that for that, the after work people because they usually miss out on the, on the Wednesdays. So, okay. All right. You're looking all a bit, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the word is. Is it hot or <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> all right. I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. Uh, that's where we're, we're going and where we're going to be for a while. So Exodus and chapter 1, I'm going to read uh, verse 7. I think I'll actually read the, the chapter, and you'll get the sort of drift to where we're coming from. Uh, verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they uh, set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for pharaohs some store cities, Pithom, uh, Rameses, uh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. Uh, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, uh, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For they are are, are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Father, we thank you today. Uh, I just pray for your blessing on us as a church. I pray for this next season that we enter. I pray, Lord Lord Jesus, that you would have your way, put your blessing over the hearts and lives of your people. And Lord, we thank you and honour you, In your wonderful name, Lord. Amen. Okay, now um, just for uh, for everyone, just to explain a little. Um, uh, that was meant to have a uh, a graphic behind it. It's not there. Not there. Oh, okay. Oh, that's important for me to know. Um, uh, but anyway. We'll we'll work with that, see how the rest of it goes and can adjust that in time. We've actually, uh, for this next season, called this next season in both uh, Byron and Billy Nudgel 24-7. And the reason being because uh, the church is not Sunday, as we're all aware, but is actually 24-7 right through the week. And the church... uh, needs to be vitally connected to the community and the community needs to be vitally affected by the church. And over history in time, uh, uh, people have misunderstood that and there's been some uh, incorrect understanding where people have put a divide between what's known as sacred and secular. And so if you come to church, you worship God, that's sacred. Uh, Of course, if you come and you hear that last song, you go, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Um, but uh, or you know what you do during the week is secular and so you know never the twine shall meet that is not a biblical concept and in fact is a concept that was never in the plan or the intention of god now with uh this here uh jesus actually said in john 17 uh 14 and 15 I have given them your word, and the world, world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So basically, Jesus prayed uh, for his church. We looked at that in our last series, Living in the Upper Room. And his prayer was, Father, I don't want you to remove the church from the world But there needs to be, how do I say this, there needs to be a disconnect from the world but an absolute connect. And so, uh, what I mean by that is uh, Jesus is actually praying that we be not of the world but of the world. It appears like a paradox but there's a a very distinct thing that Jesus is speaking to in that regard and praying for the church. And uh, Jesus laboured the point to pray for the church this way. And I think if He prays this way, there's a real danger for God's people to put a, a divide here and not understand this correctly. Now, what happens? The church was always meant to be salt and light. Jesus spoke of that. And, um, and sadly, the church has gone into the pendulum swings. And there's one pendulum swing that basically uh, comes and says, uh, we're of the world, but there's no distinction from the world. They usually put a very low premium. On fellowship with other believers and with that uh, they see themselves sown into the community but because they have no connection with believers uh, is what happens it bluntens their effectiveness to the world uh, because people can't distinguish that there is something uh, of this people that's not of the world so we have that pendulum swing and and of course uh, usually those people vote with their feet They don't usually fellowship with other believers. And so, uh, but anyway, that's their position. There's also those who, of course, historically particularly, uh, see themselves as having no connection to the world. And, uh, you know, we are committed to holiness and being pure people of God. And because of that, there's no connection to the world. And with that, they never have an audience Uh, So they can have the most wonderful meetings in the world, but there's no connection, there's no audience. And so they've got no one effectively to reach. Now, between those two extremes, uh, there's, uh, you know, we've got to try and walk the road, uh, somewhere between that. And so we wanted to really spend some time on 24-7. There's a new home group, uh, Lynx group. That Don and Denise are running a actually called, Thank God it's Monday, uh, precisely on this issue, and uh, but with this uh, uh, for the church here in the mornings at Billy Nudgel, uh, we wanted to on uh, Billy Nudgel here in the mornings at Byron Bay. That's what I want. My mind's not very good today, uh, so please forgive me. Um, but there was two times in the history of Israel, in the history where uh, they were in foreign lands under occupation. They they were basically living in a foreign land in another culture. Now, the first of those is the one we're going to be looking at here on Sunday mornings, and it's the nation of Egypt. And basically, uh, in this nation uh, of Egypt is when the exodus occurred, and God brought forth His people. Now, uh, I've called this, in the mornings, what we're going to be doing, Ark to Ark is because God saves a deliverant named Moses in a little reed ark. And through that salvation will become the drawing out of the nation of Israel to be a community of worshippers before the ark of the covenant of God at Mount Sinai. And so uh, there's a journey that uh, is... Here, where the people are going to become, as the King James says, a peculiar people, a people that are are, are very much not of the world. They're going to be a salted light. And and how this actually outworks and unpacks. The other uh, side uh, there uh, was Israel, in history, went into the nation of Babylon. And God actually sowed the worshipping community back into the Babylonian world. And in that place is Christians found themselves as prophets in the marketplace. And so in the evenings, uh, the afternoons, uh, we're going to be looking at prophets in the marketplace. But the whole of this theme is going to sit under 24-7, how we can actually be uh, of the world, but not of the world. And there needs to be an effectiveness as we communicate and connect to our world, and we need to be vitally connected to that world, sewn into that world to be able to make a difference. And so, uh, so the mornings will be arc to arc. The evenings, uh, we're going to be looking at profits in the marketplace. And we're going to be going through the book of Daniel uh, there in the evening, uh, which deals with that journey And we're going to be dealing with Exodus 1 to 24, which deals with the first journey. So I wanted to say that today by way of introduction, uh, just to explain what we're about and what we're doing in this season of time. And the guys will have a few things that they'll have to really bring this focus within our thinking. 24-7. So that's all you've got to remember. It's an easy series to remember this one, isn't it? 24-7. Now, with this here... I read today from Exodus, and Exodus is a word. uh, that Ex uh, is Greek. It just means uh, there uh, is out. I'll get that right there, out. And hados means way. So it just means the way out, uh, an exit. And with this here, the book begins with the word and. A lot of translations remove that, um, and they remove it because it, it seems like a poor way how to start a book, and... Uh, the New American Standard Bible put the word now. Uh, but with this here, this term Exodus actually comes from, uh, from uh, Exodus nineteen one, And uh, the word that's literally used there. And so uh, the people had gone out. Now, in the old Hebrew world, they called this book by its first name. And these are the names. That's what the Hebrews called it. So, if you ever hear uh, Jewish people saying, and these are the names, you know which book they're referring to. Now, with this here, the book of Exodus is what's known as the second book of the Pentateuch, a big fancy word, which means five, five books. Everyone got that? I call it the hand. And so, with this, you just got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you've got the five. Now... Uh, uh, Recently, up with the SBS guys up on Sunny Coast, I taught through the book of Genesis. And it was through that, actually, that really uh, inspired me to go this next season on this for us here. And so, this journey of Ark to Ark. Now, Genesis is a book um, that deals with beginnings. And uh, the key word in that book is the word seeds. It runs right through the book. There's another key word called generations but seeds is that word and so it's really the seeds of everything and in that particular book God is presented as the creator or what's known as El Shaddai the all-sufficient one the God who is almighty or the one who is our supply the one who has provided uh, all things and so the last word of that particular book uh, in the book of Genesis uh, 50 26 It says, Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in, and the last word is, Egypt. Now, what happens when we come to this next particular book, uh, which is Exodus, it begins this word, and, and the reason it begins that way is because it's not a distinct book. It's a continuity, and it was always uh, meant to be read in connection to the book of Genesis. Everyone follow that? So what happens there, the story of Exodus is the story of redemption. It's the story of how God brought forth a worshipping company from ark to ark. That's what the story is about. Now, with this here, God is presented as Yahweh. And this is going to be a very important word for us in this particular book, uh, which is the covenant name for God. And this Lord rules and controls everything, even in this world. Uh, deism, as far as the Bible, is not a, a, a real belief system. It's because God overrules Egypt, overrules Pharaoh, overrules whatever circumstances in this world to work His purposes for His good and for His glory. Now, uh, as we come, uh, I'll read the last word of Exodus from the New American Standard Bible. I'll just sort of give a little bit of the comparison. And it says, throughout all these journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, the worshipping company. And there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So we're going from a journey from Egypt to Israel. That's, that's the journey. And so with this particular area, the book begins, as I said, and I, I use the New American Standard because they've been faithful to this now or, or and and continuing from that previous story of Genesis, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Now, all this all the sons of Israel, are 12 sons. Um, and then if we'd read those early verses, verse 5 actually links to Genesis 46-27 uh, and actually says that 70 people had come down into Egypt with Jacob and then verse 6 links with Genesis 50-26 and uh, Joseph died and was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, with this now, as I share today, I want to set the whole platform for where we're going to go so that we can understand how we need to be of the world but not of the world. So in the mornings particularly is how a community needs to be not of the world. In the afternoons was how you need to be vitally connected in the world. Everyone got that and all our other... Uh, uh, preachers and all those are going to be on this particular theme, including tonight, Jit Chong tells me, uh, which is uh, going to be interesting. Uh, He's got a great message for tonight. Now, the background picture, I want to talk just three things with you here. Firstly is covenant and to a generation who had forgotten covenant. And that's how this book opens. The second deals with hostility. Is why... Does the world get hostile to a worshiping community of believers? Hostility, and the third is suffering, and how we love that word, uh, suffering. And uh, my my uh, one of my good friends, he says, Nev. First comes the engagement ring, then the wedding ring, then the suffer ring. <laughs> anyway, I won't go there with him. And so my wife shaking my head. That's a, <laughs> that's a politically incorrect joke, isn't it? And I need a smack, don't I? So, yes. It's anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, suffering. And so with this, I want to begin with what that generation had forgotten and what I find that a lot of people in our generation have forgotten is the understanding of covenant. Now, in Exodus 1:7, it says there, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now, Israel were, had been 400 years in Egypt, and they had forgotten who they were And they'd forgotten the relationships they were in, but yet they're extremely blessed. And it just says here, they increased greatly, they multiplied, grew exceedingly strong. And they thought that was them. But in fact, it had nothing to do with them. It had to do with a covenant relationship that their father, their grandfather, but particularly their great-grandfather had brought them into with the Lord God Almighty. And that was in the story in the book of Genesis. Now, Israel had forgotten this covenant. They'd forgotten the relationships they were in. And uh, they did not really walk with El Shaddai, uh, which is this term which is God is Almighty or our provider. Now, Yahweh was still faithful, though, to the covenant. Yahweh is always faithful to the covenant. I'll use that term because it's the Old Testament word, for God in covenant with His people. So uh, play, you usually see it capital L-O-R-D in your Bibles, but that's the Hebrew word, so I'll just give it as it is. Now, with this here, uh, they'd entered into this covenant, and the Lord blessed them, but it had nothing to do with them. It had to do with the relationship that God had entered into, that He was faithful to. And this brought prosperity and blessing to Israel, but they did not really understand this. Now, their great-grandfather, Abraham, uh, had received a promise from God in the book of Genesis 12 of blessing. But particularly Genesis 15 and 15.6 just says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And through that chapter is the Lord God Almighty, the God of the universe, entered into a relationship with this man, Abraham where the two parties now walked as one in fortune, in prosperity, in debt and responsibility, just as a husband and wife do when they are married and enter into a covenant relationship known as marriage, which reflects uh, this relationship that Abraham had entered into. Now, with this here, uh, this involved Abraham walking between the pieces of a slain animal. And they would, uh, he, he actually cut the animals in pieces. It's how they uh, initiated covenant in the ancient world. They split the animal down the backbone. They divided the two halves. And then they would wait for the two parties who would enter into a covenant. And they'd walk through a figure eight through those animals. And they would declare all the blessings and all the curses of the covenant. And they would also declare uh, the oath. They would speak in Hebrew, what is known as the seven. Now, a lot of people are aware that seven is a very important number in Scripture, but the word seven is the number of oath, to swear the covenant, to swear the seven. And that's where someone enters into covenant with the Lord God Almighty. And Abraham actually entered into this relationship with the Lord and ended into this where they became one. If ever this covenant was broken, they would be cut asunder. ...as those animals, but the ones who entered this relationship would walk for one forever after as one. You touch that person, you have touched the other party because of the relationship. And so uh, this was what they entered into. And in Genesis fifteen eighteen, it just says there, it says, And on that day the Lord, Yahweh, entered into or made a covenant with Abraham... And so with that there, this changed Abraham's life. They swore the oath. They swore the seven. And Yahweh inserted his name into Abraham's name. So he becomes Abraham. And and he takes the key word or letter of his name, Yahweh, and he inserts that just in our marriage as usually a man's name is inserted into his wife's name. Because they're covenant relationship. This generation's forgotten that. They've forgotten that's got to do with covenant. And that you touch her, that girl, well, you touched that husband. And, and, and what's going to happen, you touch her, it's going to be a two-hit fight. He's going to hit you and you're going to hit the moon. Okay? That is how the relationship works. They work as one. They walk as one uh, together. Now, with this here, covenant is connected to promise. I was speaking of this only a week or two ago, and I will again next month. But Genesis 12, 2-3, and it says, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, God said to Abraham. And I'll, I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I'll curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Five-fold over, God says, I will bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Is because of this relationship that God is going to uh, be faithful to. Now, this actually was connected back because covenant is a continuity. Is what happened is man was created in covenant. And actual fact, I should have probably reversed this. But in Genesis 1:28, God had originally said to humanity, He said, uh, "There be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." Now, man, of course, was unfaithful to that relationship. And then the next uh, way through was God formed a relationship with Noah. And he renewed that same promise. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill all the earth. And then Abraham had flown from that. So there's this connection. So all of these promises become efficacious or, or work because of the covenant. Now Abraham uh, had entered that. Isaac renewed it. Uh, it was confirmed with Jacob. And so what happened? They all entered this relationship with the result, as we'll see in Exodus 3, where God says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and because of this relationship. So they walked as one. They walked in this incredible relationship together because of covenant. But the tragedy of this generation is they don't understand covenant. They don't understand why God is so faithful to the promises he makes. Any, a lot of people refer to the promises in Scripture, but the promises are only as strong as the covenant they sit within. If you understand the covenant, the promises become efficacious. They live under that, uh, under that covenant. Now, with this here, is what happens is, this is why God said to Jacob at the end of his life, I am the God of your father. This is Genesis 46, 3 and 4. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Don't be afraid. For there I'll make you a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I'll also bring you up again. And Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. So Jacob, in actual fact, was assured by God, rest in the covenant. This relationship, your provision is my provision. Your need is my need. We walk as one. Now, this is why Exodus opens in Exodus 1:7. But the people of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. It had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with the God who was faithful to the promise and the covenant that he'd made with their fathers. Everyone see that? In fact, so much so, the nation of Israel had totally forgotten the covenant. They didn't even know the relationship they were in. As the generations had come and gone They no longer even knew who this Lord really was. And so they were living in Egypt. Now, we have some Psalms. And some of those Psalms in our Bible are known as the Exodus Psalms, which speak of this period of history. I want to read one of those, which is Psalm 105. Psalm 106 is another. But let me just read Psalm 105. Uh, This picks up in verse 6. "O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God or Yahweh your Elohim, if you know the Hebrew. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant for what? Forever. Once this covenant has been ratified, God remembers it or is faithful to it forever. He doesn't change. The word that he commanded, that he commanded for how many generations? Can you get that? A thousand generations? For a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn, or the seven, that he declared the promise to Isaac, and he confirmed it to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. And then that psalm explains how Exodus opens. So, Psalm 105, 23, 24, Then Israel came to Egypt, Jacob subjourned in the land of Ham, And the Lord, that's Yahweh, made His people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. So the blessing came upon Israel because of what? Yahweh and the covenant had nothing to do with Israel. And they just walked within this blessing. And they didn't even understand where it flowed from, but God was always faithful to that covenant relationship that He made. And so that blessing and that fruitfulness and that multiplication had everything to do with the supernatural power of God to rest behind His promise to fulfill it. Now, this here would be probably the biggest issue of our generation is because our generation does not understand covenant. In fact, the Gentile world, which is the world, if you're not Jewish, your world, is this is probably the biggest hurdle that you need to enter into, into understanding. And I find a lot of the church does not understand this. Even the church don't understand this. So Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, Paul speaking on this to you. Therefore, remember at that time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, which just means you weren't in the covenant. By what is called the circumcision, those in the covenant, that's the Old Testament, which is made... In the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel, and get the next term, and strangers to the covenants of promise. You did not see this story. You did not understand this continuity of how God worked in covenant in the Old Testament. In fact, many, many Christians are totally ignorant of this and they don't even understand the relationship that they really have in Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus Christ brought you into a new covenant and we celebrated it at communion today is why we do this, because it pulls you back to the covenant that you were within and that the Lord will always be faithful to. Everyone follow what I'm saying there? I'm a bit serious today, I suppose. I, I, I better lighten up. But this is, this is behind the power of Exodus. Because in Exodus 9, for example, Moses will march in and said, Let my people go. Why were Israel God's people? It's because their grandfather, their, their, you know, their great-grandfather, the grandfather their father, had entered them into a covenant relationship and what happens in that covenant relationship as covenant heads, they'd also entered into that relationship but they didn't have a clue about it. They didn't understand it. This was certainly true in my life. First 20 years of my life, I didn't even understand this. I was complete heathen and pagan. I did not know what Jesus did between God and me. So it never was applied to my life. And so what happens is exactly the same for Israel. Now this leads us to the next very important part and this is where this is going to step by step is going to become more pertinent to you where you sit right at this moment. So just hang in with me. Because suddenly when they went to Egypt everything was good. Everything was wonderful. But there came a moment where they encountered hostility a hostileness that flowed, a malevolence from the world. And it says, now uh, uh, there arose a new king over Egypt. Many people believe that, speaking of a new dynasty in Egypt. And who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many for us. Come, let us deal uh, shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Now, I don't know whether you can see the irony of that. But the original promise to Abraham is, I'll bless, you, I'll bless 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 you, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Everyone hear that? So that blessing was also to come to Egypt, if only they waited. But what happens, they get threatened by that message of blessing. They, they, this becomes a threat. The same way as Pam was speaking, where Jesus Christ becomes a threat to those in our community. That's why Jesus is a threat, but he's really the blessing. But Egypt got threatened by the blessing. They were threatened by the goodness of God and that this promise would flow through Israel's life and was intended to bring blessing and wonderful good news to them. But they couldn't see that. And they saw the blessing of God on these people as a major threat and Egypt became very uncomfortable with their presence. Now, what happens, for 400 years, Israel had lived in that nation. And so they went into Egypt because there was a seven-year famine. Everyone got that? So Joseph saved them. They got through that seven years of famine. And the question is, why did they sit there for 400 years? I don't know whether you ever thought about that. Why didn't they go home after that seven years of famine? Why did they stay on for 400 years? Because Egypt was good. Man alive. Egypt was a gravy train. And they got into Egypt and it was a wonderful place. And you can reflect on their memories and other scriptures Numbers 11.5, Deuteronomy 11.10, many scriptures speak of this because they cast in their nets into the Nile and there was fish, 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 fish. Is they had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. <laughs> oh, you're Chinese, you eat anything. And, uh, and so they loved the food. Uh There was knowledge of arts and industry and commerce. And they were at the cultural hub of the ancient earth where it was action, action, action. You know, some people, I've never been a city guy. I've always been a rural guy. And some people just love city life. They can't handle it in the country where you've got to sit on your own uh, out there on a veranda and speak to no one for two weeks. I love that. (laughs) Oh, give me that. I can handle a little few days in the city, but uh, don't put me there long term. You, You understand what I'm saying? I'm just saying, what's me? And anyway, uh, small doses. But some people love that. They love the party life. They love the action. They love the lights. They love the city. The whole thing's moving. And Israel loved it. And they stayed. And they stayed. And they stayed. And they just thought this was a wonderful life. And they settled not only in Egypt, but they settled in the richest province of Egypt called Goshen. And it was one big gravy train. And they were loving it. And when you got Egypt, who needs God? Who remembers the covenant that you once entered in? They forget it all. Now, what happens? Let me just say this. So I just want to present this, and uh, just so you'll get to see this. I want you to show a comparison with Egypt. I don't know if you understand the geography of that nation but a whole nation no rain falls hardly at all on that land none in fact it's very rare when rain ever does fall in that land but yet it's incredibly wealthy and blessed because it all exists on one river called the Nile river and all of those rains fall somewhere up on the highlands of the african continent thousands and thousands and thousands of kilometers away. And so no one in Egypt ever sees rain. And so what happens, all of that source and dependency just flows to them without a thought. And so it is literally the land of independence. They don't need anything. And let me say you something, is Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, now, you thought about that, kingdom of heaven, is unless you've got some poverty of spirit, you have no need of God. And if you don't need God, you're very comfortable in a land of independence where everything just rolls to you like in a gravy train. And it's a wonderful place. The problem is, God had originally promised them Canaan, Now, Canaan totally depends on rain. In fact, every season, your total dependence is that rain falls or you're up the creek without a paddle. And what happens is everything has to depend on God. And you have got to rest back in a covenant that God makes with you that His supply is your supply. Everyone follow what I'm saying? And it is the land of total dependence. Why didn't God promise Israel Egypt? He could have. It's because, friends, you can just settle down in Egypt and it's hunky-dory. Everything just flows to you. You need nothing. Now, this is the problem with our generation. This is the number one problem of Western generation at the moment. There is no need. I go surfing with all the guys. And man, last Monday, have you seen the surf last Monday? Oh, Egypt's good. <laughs> oh, man, a lie. Oh, it's a good place. And there's fish in there, mile. I wanted to call my lynx group, which is a surfing group, shark bait. Denise wouldn't let me do it because of insurance. <laughs> ah. Anyway, uh, so... Egypt has a legacy. And Israel didn't consider this. They were the nation in the ancient world most given to idolatry. They had the faintest, faintest, faintest legacy in the priesthood that there is an all sovereign God. But the whole nation was totally given to idolatry. Everything became a god, a goddess. The Pharaoh was the incarnation of Ra, the sun, on the earth. He saw himself as a god. And their whole world was given to idolatry where there was no acknowledgement to the true God at all. As they lived in their land of independence, totally alienated from God. (laughs) What a world. Oh, Egypt's good. But is it really good? There's another side of Egypt that they had forgotten about too. It is known as the land of death. In fact, every legacy in that nation is a memorial and a devotion to death. Do you realize Egypt has one work, one papyri, I think, work that has remained to this world and it's called, listen to this, the Egyptian book of the, the dead. The whole nation was actually a mausoleum of death. Now, you can live in Egypt and you think it's good, but friends, it's a house of idolatry, where people are alienated from God, and it is a house of death. Now, there arose a new king of Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he arises, and he is not happy with Israel. Now, let me just say this to you. You might think you can get away without your identity being known. You know, you can just blend into the world, but there's another one who does know your identity. Now, let me just bring you a picture. This is the picture, I just want you to notice it, of the, uh, one of the only uh, golden uh, mass, death mass, And, of course, it's from the tomb of Tutankhamun that Howard Carter excavated. And, you know, this is not the pharaoh or the one that we're dealing with, but uh, the pharaoh we're dealing with resented God's people, resented God's promises and God's plans have become a threat. But I want you to notice what sat over every Egyptian pharaoh. And I hope you have got the picture. Can everyone see that? And historically, it always was is that Pharaoh ruled with the serpent over his brow and he ruled with authority over the nation. So their leader was given to the serpent. And that serpent actually was his ruling strength behind his power and it sat spiritually behind the nation. And so Pharaoh will in actual fact be a direct tool of Satan and satanic power. And so they did not realize that the first promise ever given in the Bible was Genesis 3.15, and it was spoken to the serpent. Listen to this promise. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you in the head. He's going to destroy you, and you shall bruise him in the heel. And so Pharaoh and Egypt viewed these people as a threat and saw their identity as something that had to be put down and controlled. Now, Genesis 12.3, in that promise, said in the covenant to Abraham, him who dishonours you, I will curse. And so when Pharaoh attacked the children of Israel, who had he picked to fight with? Their covenant partner. They didn't realise they had a covenant partner. They didn't realise the relationship. They'd forgotten it. But there was someone who sits behind that covenant who is was 100% ...faithful to that relationship and never wavered. And so when Pharaoh picked this fight, he's actually picking a fight directly with God. Now, with this, this leads to the issue of slavery. And they instantly set taskmasters to enslave the people. They came and the slavery increased harshly into bitterness and hard service. It then cascaded into ethnic cleansing in Exodus 1.16... And you shall kill those sons that are born. And it ends up in complete genocide that every son has to be killed. And the women have to be absorbed into Egypt to become Egyptian. Everyone follow what's happened. Now, the moment Pharaoh did that, he's actually, without knowing it, he's picked a fight with the covenant partner to this nation who aren't even aware of this relationship. Now, that same psalm I read, that Exodus psalm, if I kept reading, verse 25, and this is God, he turned there, that's Egypt's hearts, to hate his people. God did that, to deal craftily with his servants. So God took his restraining power off and allowed the Egyptians to hate God's people. And you've got to ask why. It was so good in Egypt. But God took his hand off that they began to hate his people. Can I just add, in the New Testament, don't think you get away with this, Jesus said in John 15, 18 and 19, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Do you hear that? But it goes, but you, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world does what? And it recognizes your identity. And that identity is usually a threat where you were meant to be a blessing for all the world, but they see it as a threat. And so what happens is Israel was God's firstborn son. Exodus 4.22 will tell us that. You've touched Israel, you've touched Yahweh. You've touched the covenant faithful one. Uh, Exodus 1.12 then says, but the more they oppressed the people, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So the more they tried to harm them, the more God blessed them. Now, the Israel probably thought it was them, but it had nothing to do with them. It had to do with God who sat behind them, faithful to the covenant. Everyone follow. And so with this here, God blessed them and blessed them. And suddenly Egypt, where things were so good, now it couldn't become much worse. And so the house of Egypt, this house of wonderful provision, becomes a house of bondage, and a house of suffering, and this leads us to our third point, and it's this. So they ruled ruthlessly, made the people work, and made their lives bitter with hard service. They began to suffer. Now suffering is something none of us like, and uh, and in fact it says this suffering became ruthless. This word, actual fact, ruthless in the original language means broke them down so bad was the ruthlessness of this suffering that came upon the people now when suffering comes in people's lives i know how we respond we instantly think of god and we blame god for our misfortune i've hung around humanity long enough and i know how i act and when things go wrong we get upset and we go, why, why has all this misfortune happened to me? They're the questions we usually ask. And, and, and don't get upset about that. As it's just human nature. And, uh, and they'd forgotten Yahweh and there wasn't a lot of praying in Egypt up to this point. They didn't even know. They were real happy in Egypt. Everything was a gravy train. Surf was good. You've got to ask the question, why then do innocent people suffer? And the simple answer is because of sin. That's why there's suffering in the world. But it comes a little bit more important. Because do you realize Jesus actually on on the cross in Matthew 27, 46, listen to these words. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lemma, sabachthani. My God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Because he'd done nothing wrong. He had no sin. But he was suffering... Because of others sin. Because you sin. I had some Muslims one time. I was talking to them in Cavill Avenue and a Jewish guy walked past and the guy spat. He was from Saudi Arabia. He spat in the ground. He said, filthy Jewish pigs. Then he turns around to me and he says, who put Jesus on the cross? And he wants me to say the Jews. And I looked at him. And uh, he's a very aggressive guy. And I looked at him and I said, I did. and and then I added, and so did you, (laughs) and that sort of threw him a little bit, Uh, is because others' sin put Jesus on the cross. That's who put Jesus on the cross, and it's our sin. But Jesus still cried that phrase because humanity cries the word, why? Always cries why, and thinks that that misfortune is because God is somehow punishing them for doing something. But in fact, it was the opposite. Israel... If only they'd rested in the covenant, we're doing everything right. And they experience suffering. Now, at the coalface, always people cry, why? Now, I, I better do this and I better, I better draw this to an end or people get mad at me. Um, it's it come the wise. Why did Israel suffer? Because Israel was so comfortable in Egypt, they were being absorbed into Egypt. There was no distinction between them and Egypt. And it was only through suffering they began to detest that house of idolatry and death. When you have things happen wrong in your world, do you go, why? and Blame God? Maybe it's a little reminder to us that this world is a house of idolatry and death. That's this world we live in. And things go wrong and we suffer and it's a little reminder that this world is not my home. Man alive, the church has got to get that. We are to be people of hope. I'm only visiting this planet. There's a, a sure destiny and future up ahead. And every time you suffer or face difficulty, don't complain. Go, God, thank you. This world is not my home. You follow what I'm saying? Israel had forgotten the covenant. they have forgotten the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that suffering led them to cry out to God. It led them from independence to dependence. And they'd been there for 400 years. There's not one mention of them praying or crying out to God. And suddenly they're praying. God's always faithful to the covenant. And so when you suffer, what should it lead you to do? Pray. You have a look at people that on a gravy train, no suffering. It's the hardest thing to do is to get them to Pray. Yeah, I love this verse. Listen to this one, Psalm 1967. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. <laughs> oh, but now I keep your word. <laughs> oh, you mightn't find that funny, but I, I do. Uh, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Can I ask you the question, how many people in this room, all your world went wrong, and because your world went wrong, you found Jesus Christ? I tell you, friends, you pull the veneer off over and over and over again. Our worlds fall apart. And it leads us to cry out to God, and God faithfully comes in and blesses us and just brings us straight into the covenant of blessing. But oh, how we don't like that. Uh, in New Testament, Romans 8, 16 to 18, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, it's children and heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with him, provided we, <laughs> provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. Okay? And the more hope and the understanding you've got of eternity, the more effective you will be in the world. Some people use a phrase, they're so heavily minded they're no earthly good. Come on, friends. Those who've been the most earthly good were always the most who were most heavily minded. We've got to get that right in this world. Now, there's another thing Israel did. Israel's suffering awakened in them a desire to want to go to the promised land. They didn't want to go there. You try and get two and a half million people out of that place to go to a land of dependence. Unless they're suffering, they're never going to go. They're never going to embrace Moses' let my people go. And another reason, Israel's suffering was used by the Lord to create a worshipping community. It was always God's intention for this. Who would journey from ark to ark. Because left to themselves, Israel would have been totally assimilated into Egypt with no distinction. They would have been at one with the culture and the behavior of that world, in that world of idolatry and death. And we know from later verses in the Bible that they absolutely adopted the idolatry and the paganism of Egypt. They'd become Egypt. So next time you face suffering and, uh, and you start blaming God... Maybe try and pull back a little and go, well, God, what are you trying to say? Because usually God is allowing something to be said. Now, to Corinthians 6:17 and 18. And I, I, I'll, I'll better finish this. I want to say one more thing before we finish. Is that all right? But you need to hear this. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18, Therefore go out from the midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I'll welcome you and I'll be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, say the Lord Almighty. Although you're in Egypt, friends, you've got to be distinct from Egypt. It's your potency, the behind your message that you give this world of hope, that you are a different people. You're a peculiar people for God. And Romans 5, 3, Not only this, but we rejoice in our... <laughs> in our suffering knowing suffering produces endurance okay you, you got it now i want to finish with this one little anecdotal story and then we're done because it finishes with a little story and i love this little story and the king of egypt said to the hebrew midwives um midwives they're girls that help other girls deliver babies into the world i can never be one of those <laughs> for a starter, i'm not a girl and I, I i was with Sue when Haley was born into the world and um and I, as a bloke, you go, oh, oh, this is all because of me they're <laughs> not good <laughs> anyway you wait, you blokes. um and then it says that the Hebrew midwives, one who was named Shifra, and the other one uh, sort of doesn't sound good to our Westerners is it two are <laughs> anyway, that'll do uh but but can I just say the complete irony of how this chapter ends is, you see, the king of Egypt is never named. And what a chagrin, what a, what a dilemma for the historians of this world. They've agonized, they've fought. Which pharaoh was it in history? But God will not even give him the dignity of giving him a name. He won't even name him. Because he is so against his plans and purposes and in his covenant faithfulness to to these people, he will not even give the guy the dignity to even put his name in the scripture. Now, I I, I think I I got a little idea who the pharaoh is and I strongly recommend that DVD there, uh, which is by Timothy Mahoney. And this is called The Patterns of the Evidence, but I'm not going to get into that. I just want you to see the irony is because here we have two midwives, midwives, women. Uh, Shipfra, which means beautiful one, and Puah, which means splendid one. And God picks two girls who are midwives. We ask the question, why did he pick them? Were they the only two that resisted Pharaoh? We don't know. Some think they might have been the overseers of all the midwives. We don't know. All I know is, is God chose to name them and he puts them in his book of life. And he knows their names and records it for all posterity to see because God puts two insignificant women in the Bible and calls them my girls by name. Now, where that there is because these midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. It's because they valued life. And when you value life, you value and respect the God who is the author of all life. This generation has forgot that also. It's because they're trumpeting loud and clear the message of Egypt, which is idolatry and death. And these two women become the first pro-lifers in the old Bible, and they respect the life of those children they're respecting God. Now, of course, Pharaoh gets very upset, and he calls them, and he says, Why have you done this? Your head's on the chopping block. You've got to stand all the intimidation of Egypt stands behind that man, all the power. The serpent sits above his brow. Bow. Behave and conform. And they won't. They stay in their ground. And these midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they're too vigorous. We can't get to them in time. Now, I think that might have been a little bit of an exaggeration. There's been a lot of ink spilled, you know, about why God blessed these girls who are tongue-in-cheek lying through the teeth. Okay, but God didn't honour their dishonesty he honoured their faith and he honoured their respect of who he was and he honoured them so much he goes I'm going to put their names in the Bible and they're my girls and I'm going to name that rotten pharaoh but God dealt well with the midwives and people multiplied and grew very strong and because the midwives feared God he gave them families he gave them children (laughs) I love that It's because these midwives were the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between you, the serpent, and the who? The woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And those two girls, without knowing it, fulfill Genesis 3.15, and they're going to crush the devil in the head and stop his plans and purposes of the blessing. And so... I like this out of Philippians. I sort of apply it to these two girls. Yes, I ask you, also true companion, Philippians 4.3, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement the rest of my fellow workers. His names are in the book of what? Life. The book of life. The book of life. Not in an Egyptian book of the dead. Okay? And friends, with this here, women are the stars. Jochebed, Miriam. Pharaoh's daughter. They're all going to bring salvation from ark to ark with a worshipping company of people who actually will stand before God. And let me end this way. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13 says this. It says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him where? Where? Outside the camp, because you are distinct. You're a worshiping company of people who are in that worshiping company, but yet need to be vitally connected into that world. And unless you're distinct, friends, unless you are, you never become a peculiar people that can present true hope to the world. You think your ministry's in the community, you got no expression to the worshiping community? Friends, I'll go so far as to say I believe you're deceived. Kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's God's intention. And that's where the Lord wants to lead for Mark Tark. I won't go into the outline of Exodus, but our journey is going to uh, go in this journey and we're going to see this journey, how it outworks and unpacks in our lives. And God wants and loves to place His children in the kingdom by name who are in the book of life. Let's stand let's pray. Father, we thank you, we honour you. Lord, as we stand in the worshipping company, I pray, Father, in this world, this world of Egypt that we live in, a world given to idolatry, a world given to death, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we'd value you. Lord, open our eyes to the covenant. Open our eyes to your faithfulness. Lord Jesus Christ, to your blessing, to your anointing in our lives, to be salt, and to be light to our world, and Jesus, we give you all the glory. We give you all the thanks and praise. I pray for your blessing on every person here, and Father, that you would just have your way work through us all. Do you be the glory, the honor, and the praise? Amen. Let's sing, and um.